Welcome to the latest episode of High Stakes. High Stakes is a podcast by K Street Capital. I'm your host, Paige Soya, the managing director of K Street Capital. And we're now on season two, which is all about exits. So we're very lucky to have you, Roy, on today to talk about this, because I know you've experienced exits through a whole lot of lenses and have been a longtime investor of K Street and have had your own exit. But before we sort of kick it off with some of these questions, maybe just give a quick intro for those that don't know you and a little bit about your own story. Sure. Uh, Well, thanks for having me on, Paige. Excited to do it. I'm Roy Schwartz, one of the original K Street investors, part of the founding team. So excited to see how big you've been able to to make this original vision grow. So it's been it's been wonderful to see how it's flourished over the last few years. So thanks for what you do. Yeah. So, you know, people probably know the name Politico. So I joined Politico maybe a year after its founding. Jim Vanderheim, Mike Allen, John Harris founded Politico. I came in when there were maybe 50 employees, was able to really grow the business. And then later, me, Jim, and Mike left to create Axios, and then we'll talk about the exit story in a little bit. And now I'm on Axios HQ, which is a spin-out from Axios, so it's my third startup. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be interesting to talk a little bit about that and your transition after the primary exit into the new exit and how long that whole process took and and everything. Yeah, Um, I did to jump in. So I guess we'll focus mostly on the Axios exit, which was your exit. And maybe if we just start there, I mean, it was public information that it was sold to Comcast and... uh, No, Cox. I mean, I'm sorry, Cox. (laughs) Sold to Cox for $525 million, right? Yes. Um, So maybe let's start there. Like, when did you found it? When did it exit? I know you sort of flirted with another buyer somewhere along the way, learned a lot from that experience, and then met the right buyer and went through this process and it was a pretty positive one. So yeah, it's been, it's been really great. So um, we, I, I guess I'll, I'll do it in, in the, the timeline that it happened, right? So we created Axios in 2016. We launched it in, in 2017. So it launched in January, 2017. And probably about four, four and a half years in, we got an offer to be acquired. And uh, it was, th- this was also pretty public because we're a media company, right? So it's all, it all ends up being public. So Axel Springer mm-hmm. made an offer to buy the company. We kind of went down the road of due diligence and an offer letter and kind of all, all these pieces. Uh, eventually, it was pretty clear that they were also going to buy Politico, which is where we used to work, as I, okay. as I mentioned. <laughs> and we just felt like we did not want to be part of that. We didn't want to be part of like some merger between like, Politico and Axios and wanted to, to stand alone. And so we pulled out of that acquisition. Shortly thereafter, uh, probably within you know a few weeks, Cox Enterprise connected with us and said, look, we would be interested in investing in you and acquiring you. Like, you know, we love what you've built and we'd like to to find a way to work together. And at the time, we'd just been through this whole process. It took months and it was draining. And so we said, okay, we're not going to go through an acquisition process. But if you want to invest in the company, it'll be great to have you as an an additional investor. We can get to know each other and then we can go from there. And so they came in, they invested money. We actually did a a small secondary for employees to get an exit because it had been pretty public that we were going to sell the company. So, um, you know, I think employees were, uh, you know, let down that the, process didn't go through. So we did a, did a second break. And then 
And then we got to know Cox and they're a great acquirer for us. We we were looking for a very unique acquirer, right? We're a media company, so we needed an, an unbiased, non-political buyer because we're a non-political, you know, we don't lean one way or another in terms of our, our coverage. So we needed someone who was, you know, down the middle in terms of their politics and, and how they were viewing things. We needed someone who really respected journalism and the editorial wall, right? That wouldn't get involved or put their thumb on the scale. And we wanted someone that was going to help build the business, wanted to invest in it, wanted to help it grow, and that wanted us to keep running it. And so that's a pretty unique buyer that checks all of those boxes. And Cox has a deep history in journalism. So they started the Dayton Daily 125 years ago. And that's actually how the family made its money initially. They grew the media business, they acquired media properties. And so they're very knowledgeable about the space, but they also have a great respect for the space. And so, you know, that felt very good. We met with the leadership team there. We met with their CEO. We just felt this, this is a good fit. And then the other part, they made it clear that they wanted me, Jim and Mike to stay. They wanted us to keep running the company. They very much believed in our strategy. And so while they would take ownership of the company, they wouldn't change the way that we run the company. And so, and that, all of that has panned out. That's incredible. I mean, it's such an unusual, I, I really like this particular story because a lot of the other episodes we're doing focus on some of the things that have gone wrong and, and, and red flags. And I feel like yours was almost like the opposite, like the green flags to, to look out for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'm I mean, they because when... Yeah, right. when they came in as an investor, they were they were very upfront about their intention to ultimately consider acquiring you, and so it's it's kind of interesting that you got to get to know them from that perspective for how long? About a year or two. A year. Mm-hmm. About a year. Yeah, and that was around twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. It was twenty twenty one. Right. Okay. Got it. And then the exit was in the tail end of was it t- tail end of twenty twenty two? August August twenty two became final. Right. Perfect. Which is it's also interesting that it went so well, because I think that was a time when the market was very tumultuous and a lot of the exits were not going so well. And a lot of investors were turning back on the things they had promised and, you know, changing term sheets. And it doesn't sound like that happened here. So it's 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 really cool to experience getting a really strong buyer from the beginning. Yeah, Cox is a very long term thinker. So, you know, when they're planning, when they're acquiring a company, when they're um, building business plans. They think in decades, you know, this is a 125-year-old family-owned business, right? It's a privately held company. And so the, they don't think in the short term. So the, the the market going up or down really had no impact on the offer that they wanted to make or the fact that they decided that this was a good strategy for them, right? So, and that was reassuring because you're totally right. The market changed substantially from 21 to 22, but they didn't change how they were approaching us or the term sheet or, or, or anything in terms of the deal. And when they did they find you through the fact that the other acquirer had sort of like you'd been working with the other acquirer and then that they found out that didn't happen and then they approached you or was there a relationship existing before that time? No, they approached us because of that. I think that that, you know, they'd seen the pre- I think they had identified us as a possible acquisition target before any of this happened. And then I think they saw the news and go, oh, man, we missed we missed our shot, right? And then the moment that we pulled out, they reached out and said, you know, we'd like to get to know you. 
But I, what if, I think that's another great lesson, just the ups and downs of like you thought you were going to exit, right? Oh, the, a ton the, of work. And the emotional up and down. Oh, Paige, if I could tell you, the, the emotional pain and the ups and downs associated with it are excruciating. excruciating. Oh, yeah. Because, Especially for the founders and the whole team, right? Like, Well, you go through so much work, so much effort to put together an acquisition and do the due diligence and go go through all of that. And then to reach a point where you go, this isn't right and we have to pull out, it, it's really hard. And I probably went through one of my lowest moments, you know, right after that, where I was like, you know, it, it, is it ever going to come together again? And it shows that it, it can. And in this case, it came together and it came together better than it otherwise would have. Right. Not, not just in terms of the price, but also the structure of the deal. And the acquirer, I feel like we're in a much better position than we would have been otherwise. And, you know, if you would have asked me in August of 21, if that would have been the case, I, you know, I would have said, you know, I would have been very sad at that moment in time. Right, right. So this is probably a moot question then, but if you were looking back, things you wish you had done differently, given that it all turned out the right way, it's sort of hard to want to have done anything differently. But is there anything you would have done differently learning about the acquisition process you went through? You know, even though we didn't go through with the first deal, we learned a lot. And so we used the structure of the first deal to help us think through the structure of the second deal. And so it was actually helpful, uh, as painful as it was to kind of go through the highs and lows of it, it. It was helpful in terms of how we structured the deal and how quickly we could put together uh, a, a new acquisition. And in terms of structuring the deal, they wanted you guys to stay on afterwards as part of the team, but that was what you wanted also, it sounds like, at the time. Uh, absolutely. We, we Look, we built Axios to be a brand that lives forever, and we want to be involved in it forever. And so finding a buyer that wants to acquire a company but doesn't want to run it and doesn't want to also merge it into other things. You know, I talk about a forever home. We were looking for a forever home. We didn't want to be bought and then packaged and sold or, you know, spun off in some way. We wanted to find a place that we could say, oh, this is a great place for us to grow, build the brand. Um, and Cox uh, has definitely, you know, followed through with that. And if you don't want to share this, you don't have to, but are you comfortable sharing the structure of the deal? Like, was it all cash, all equity, some combination, some kind of an earnout situation for you guys? Um, th- there is a little bit of an earnout situation. So the whole idea, we wanted that too. So the idea was, look, we're still in growth mode. We're still growing this company. We want to be part of the the upside. And so th- we structured the deal to be that way, to be sort of this a certain amount when the deal was done, and then a certain amount over the next few years that has upside. Now, you ended up leaving to start this other spinoff. So maybe talk about how that played into this. And and yeah. Yeah. So we had started incubating this SaaS company within Axios called Axios HQ. And really, it got started because client, you know, not every idea comes from the founders, right? This came from clients. So uh, BP specifically, and then also United Health Group had come to us and said, hey, we want to use smart brevity for internal communications. You know, how can we work on using what you've learned in news, but apply it to internal comms? And we decided to do an experiment. We started with BP. Shortly thereafter, we added United Health Group. Then we added a couple others. 
And what we saw was incredible. So open rates went up, engagement rates went up. And what was working in news, the smart brevity format, the way we approached content, the way that we thought about audience first and efficiency was even more meaningful, I would say, within an organization because time is money, right? And, and when you're sending something out to potentially thousands of employees, if you can save them one or two minutes and make them more oh, yeah. and understand more, there's incredible value to it. And so we saw that there was a SaaS solution that we could build from that. We started working on that right before COVID. And then when COVID hit, we decided to rush it to market because we're like, oh, yep. going to need to even more important. Okay, absolutely. And, and yeah. look, we've got a lot of tailwinds because of remote work. And also what's happening, I would say, in terms of the, the, the next generation of employee really wanting to understand more about what the company stands for. What is it beyond profitability? So there's a lot more requirements now because of culture, because of what's happening in society to communicate effectively. And you add remote work to that and you know you don't get the um, accidental meetings at lunch or walking by someone's office. And so you actually have to be very purposeful about how you communicate. And Axios HQ helps you plan for it, put the strategy together for it, and then has all the tools in terms of communication workflow, approvals, adding people in terms of assigning uh, work to people, and then looking at the analytics, you'd be amazed. But right. That must be super interesting. <laughs> yeah, most companies have zero analytics for internal communications. They don't know if employees are reading anything that they send at all. And yeah. so, you know, we're able to give very detailed analytics that that's super helpful, especially when you have compliance issues. So we work with a few airlines. They're sending things out to flight attendants and it's safety information. They need to know if people read it. So, you know, it can be it can be incredibly helpful. So as part of the deal, we were trying to figure out how do we spin off Axios HQ because the SaaS company obviously has different requirements from funding. Um, you know, our media business at the time was profitable. Axios HQ was, uh, you know, taking investment and um, uh, we were trying to figure out how do we spin this out. And so when the deal came together, that was one of the big pieces was, hey, we want to spin this out. We want to restructure it. And of course, Cox is an investor in it, but um, now we're structured much more like a Series A company. We raised additional funding from venture capitalists um, who were both, uh, both the, the investors, Glaybook and Graycroft, were both in the media company okay. and were upset, it, uh, were very, very excited, obviously, by the exit, but were upset that they couldn't continue on the journey with Axios HQ. So when we opened it up for investment, they, they each put in $10 million. Uh, and so that that provided the early stage funding. Smart. I remember. I remember thinking, I wish K Street was invested in that deal. <laughs> but you had two perfect investors. That, that mean, it came together really quickly. I, oh, I, I actually, it's so smooth. We, I would have wanted to bring it to K Street, but it came together uh, very quickly. And you know this, you want to keep the cap table as, as, as simple as possible. And you know, both partners, when we were looking to raise $20 million and they both said, okay, we'll each do 10. There really wasn't much to oh, yeah. think about I, I, at that point. I'm, so. I'm messing with you, Roy. It would never have made sense, but it's just, it's funny how fast it came together right right as part of that transaction that it was already fully financed effectively on yeah, day one. It was with, great. With partners that you already knew from the last business and that they were just willing to even let you do that, right? Like, I think a lot of buyers would would not be supportive of spinning something out. They might want to keep the economics themselves and keep you there, doing it there, or, you know, 
who knows? Yes, for, for sure. And, and again, this is why, you know, I think Cox has a great reputation in the market. They're a great acquirer. They're very entrepreneurial friendly. And this was one of those entrepreneurial moments where we said, look, this doesn't make sense inside of Axios because it, it's, it's basically taking a lot of capital and it has a very different valuation profile. It makes more sense as a separate company. Now they're an investor, so they'll, you know, they'll benefit from the growth of that company. And it's, you know, since, since it's been spun out, it's probably quadrupled or, you know, who, mm-hmm. you know it's grown exactly. substantially since then. So since this was kind of a spin out that happened at the time of the last exit, were you thinking immediately, like you're thinking about the exit in mind of this second company while you're building it, I would imagine? I mean, you- Or maybe not. Look, the moment you take venture capital money, you know you have to have some exit, right? Whether you personally as the founder exit, you know, put that aside, but for your investors, for your employees, you have to have a, an exit. And so- you know, for us, it was really important at Axios that employees had stock in the company. Same thing at Axios HQ. Every employee gets stock get gets stock options in the company. And so you you know you're gonna have to find a way to provide an exit. And so now it's a question of what type of exit do you want, right? Is it are you gonna be acquired? Are you gonna, you know, go the private equity route? And that part has not been worked out, but you know, we're at you know, still in the early stages. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm curious then if you feel like because you had such a good experience with the last exit, are there things that you're thinking about differently for this next exit when you keep that in mind? Or is it sort of you're in the early days of Axios, of the new of the of the new Axios HQ? So maybe it's not on your mind yet, because I think what is this year two of it? Maybe we're in, we're in year three. And I mean, look, we're you're always thinking about it, right? Because you you know that you've taken venture capital money. You know you've got employees that are looking for uh, a return, right? And wealth creation. That's a big part of why people join startups. So it is something that we think about. We're just not at the point where we can plan that out. And, you know, we're, you know, yeah, it's just too early. Yeah, makes sense. Is there any advice you would share with people about your own investing? Like, I guess you've you've also had some successful exits as an investor, investing in other people's companies and sort of witnessing those exits, but maybe more from afar. I don't know how involved you were in any of those transactions. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, invested in it, you know, was lucky to sort of watch it, watch it take place, but not always knowing all the details um, from, from the inside. Um, advice I would say is, if you're going to stay in the business, you really do need to think about who that partner is. And if there's some mechanism to get to know them where um, they invest a little and then you know that ultimately they want to acquire you, but this way you get to see what they're like um, and get to know them. That I, I like that concept. I think it worked extremely well with Cox. And that's something I'd probably do again, um, You know, rather than jump to an acquisition. If you want to stay involved and look at a minimum, your employees are staying involved, right? right? And so you want to find a good partner. And when you're building a SaaS company, it's a little bit different than a media company, right? A SaaS company could take the technology and not not keep the team. And so, you know, I think a buyer is really important, you know, to that matches up with the expectations that, that you've set with your employees. So the last question I'll ask you is... Um, if you're thinking about, I mean, when you left, I guess 
probably you took part of your team as part of the spin out. I imagine it wasn't like you were hiring all new people from right. scratch, right? So you weren't really, you didn't fortunately have to leave your entire team, but a, a good chunk of it, right? And your co-founders and, and everything. Did you feel like you were ready to make that transition when it happened? It's really bizarre. Uh, so we're housed in the same space. So, but, you know, because uh, everyone now has more office space than they probably need yep. given remote work. So we decided, hey, we we basically pay uh, to sublease a space from from Axios, right? So we're in the same you're same still floor, quite the same close. office. I still see the <laughs> same people. Uh, it's great for for me, Jim and Mike, to be able to stay close um, together. But it is an adjustment. So there's meetings that take place that I'm now not involved in. I'm on the board, um, but I'm not in you know the daily meetings. That's a weird feeling, right? Especially That's as a cool. founder. Uh, to, to yeah, and and I can see them. It's not even like exactly I'm, right. Like you're walking I right by. See, oh yeah, I walked by. The, they were doing. Uh, they had a executive retreat the other day, and I was like, and "This you're not is part really of weird." Like yeah. I'm in the room. Yeah, yeah. That's good that you still have that close relationship, and you're still in the same space. But it, that's a bizarre sort of like y- unique uh, experience. I think most founders they cut ties, and then you don't see it. It's not in your face anymore. Yes. In this case, it's sort of still there. Um, but let's create. I, I think this has been incredibly informative and a ton of good advice for people to see how an exit was successful, like how to do it successfully and, and pick up on the green flags of an exit. Um, anything else worth sharing? I know we were um, coming up one time here, but. No, but if people have questions, I'd be happy to, to answer them at another time. So, if, you know, if people, as they're listening or are wondering something, they can send it to you and I'd be happy to yeah. send send the response. Awesome. Well, thanks, Roy, so much for doing it. Happy to do it. Fun. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks. Mm